0: Over 30 years ago now, when I went through college and seminary, I took some classes on communication that all stressed just how important it is to have a great introduction that captures people's attention and convinces them as to why they should listen to what you have to say next. So you ready? Sex! (laughs) That's my introduction. And I bet I have your attention, and you probably want to know what I'm going to say next. But I'm going to let God talk about it next. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me remind you, we're going to listen to what God has to say about this. But the book of Proverbs that we're using this summer to get wisdom is a book that is put together in a way that it's a father instructing a young son. So that's why as we read this chapter, you're gonna hear so many of the phrases are all put together as if it's all male and if it's all to a young man. But I want you to understand what the Bible has to say about human sexuality and temptation and purity all applies to both men and women, look at me, for a lifetime. So ladies, don't check out on me. And if you're here and you'd say, I don't think I'm in the category of young anymore. Don't check out on me. The sweet psalmist of Israel stepped into adultery when he was a young man or older man? Older. Lifetime. We need to know what God's word says. You follow along as I read in Proverbs 5, beginning in verse one. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion. Discretion. And your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you groan at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say... How I've hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I've not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern. And running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be your own. And not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer. And a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. And always be enraptured with her love. For why should you my son. Be enraptured by an immoral woman. And be embraced in the arms of a seductress. For the ways of a man. Are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. And he's caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. The word of the Lord. Now this whole area of human sexuality is so important and has been so infected and twisted by the foolishness of our world that when we come to this book of wisdom in the Bible, God gives us not one, not two, but three chapters where the theme of that chapter, the main theme of the chapter, is human sexuality and purity. Proverbs five, six, and seven. And so, starting today, we're going to dig into these chapters, and I'm going to keep going next Sunday to get all the wisdom we can on this subject. But here's how I want to frame it up as we get started today. Before we can talk about any sinful, twisted versions of sexuality, we've got to understand God's original, glorious, and good design for our sexuality. So here's my first point. You'll never understand the horrors of sexual sin until you understand and appreciate the glory of God's original design. See, I hope you heard it as I read through this chapter. Surely you heard it. It's not filled with just don't, 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 don't. There's some really strong do, do, do. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are not just all about sexual sins we need to avoid. Proverbs 5 is filled with some of the most exuberant, over the top Hebrew verbs and descriptions expressing the love and sexuality that is, look at me, commanded for husband and wife, not just allowed commanded, and here's the problem in our English translations, so I don't want you to miss it, verses 15 through 19 are filled with commands in the Hebrew language, in the English it's, it's, it's worded let, 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 as if, okay, maybe we will, I mean, let's let it happen, no, you could put in there, do this, in the original, those are imperatives, so you've got, listen to it again, beginning in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, that's a command, Verse 17, let them be only your own and not for strangers, command. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed, command. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, it's a command. Middle of verse 19, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured. It's a command, command. And I hope you got this. Does any of it sound diminished, guarded, or restrained? It doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit is embarrassed by this subject and is just tiptoeing around the fringes and the Holy Spirit loves to make much of Jesus but when he talks about sexuality, it's in very general terms because God turns away and says to the heavenly angels, oh, turn away. This is regarding sex. I don't know how any of this happened. and It embarrasses me every time it comes up. Oh my goodness, not diminished, not restrained, not guarded over-the-top kind of descriptions. And here's why. Because our sexuality doesn't just matter to us. It matters to God. He's the giver of this. Because he didn't just, he didn't just give it, stay with me, he didn't just give it for pleasure or procreation. That's part of the purpose. But there's something much bigger That God intended for us to taste and put on display in our sexuality. And that is the love of his son for his bride, the people of God. Something bigger. Something bigger. Now stay with me because I want to press into something that few people understand, including Christians. So few people seem to understand, and it's this, romance and sexuality came from God, came from God, and ultimately reveal something glorious about God, and it's this. His pursuit of us, his unrelenting pursuit of us, his passionate love for us, his acceptance of us, his desire to know us intimately, and his desire for us to be in a relationship with him where we can be completely unguarded, knowing we are totally accepted and can be unashamed, in a sense, naked before a holy God, but completely loved and accepted knowing that our ability to be in his presence like this is completely based on the righteousness of another, Jesus. Now I'm gonna take us to many other passages, so I'm not making this up. You will see Jesus right in the center of every passage I take you to today regarding sexuality, human sexuality, and intimacy between husband and wife. Jesus is right in the mix. It's not like we got all our Jesus passages and then we got our all sexuality passages and they should not merge. The Holy Spirit put Jesus right at the heart of these conversations for a reason. Did you realize that our sexuality was meant to put on display and give us a foretaste of union and intimacy with our Savior, Jesus there's something bigger at play here and at stake. And so I hope that trying to help you get that framework in place now helps you to start to see that's why sexual sin, that's why sexual sin is so abhorrent to God. Because sexual sin is like graffiti that mars and covers over God's glorious display of the gospel. And his unrelenting pursuit of us and love for us that's found in his son, Jesus. Jesus. Ray Ortland Jr. in his excellent commentary on Proverbs says this. Quote, God loves us not with a chilly indifference, but with hot passion. The gospel reveals that is who God is. This wonderful truth means many things. For starters... Tell the world this, for starters, it means marriage is not just another mutation in human social development. See, the world would say that's just some kind of mutation in our development and we've moved past marriage, that's just a piece of paper, we don't need that. Wrong, wrong, because marriage and our sexuality was always intended from the very beginning to be right at the heart of putting on display something that our world desperately needs to see about the gospel and Jesus Christ and what God and his son has done for us. Marriage is a divine creation pointing to something beyond us. It is all pointing to the mega romance of Christ and the church in love forever. A man and woman in love display the ultimate story of the Son of God coming down to win for himself a bride. More than any other reason, that is why our sexuality matters, whether married or single. I love what he says next. Listen to this. Just being a man is a gospel privilege. Just being a woman is a gospel privilege. That's why gender matters. We don't get to tinker with it and toy with it and do whatever we want. God created men and women equally in his image to put on display something greater. Just being a man, don't be ashamed of being a man. It's a gospel privilege. Don't be ashamed of being a woman. It's a gospel privilege. What we are is about the gospel. That is why we need to learn gospel sexuality. For some of you, this might be the first time that you've ever heard how our sexuality is tied to something bigger than our own sexual pleasure. And it's not just in the Old Testament that you see this. Proverbs 5 is exuberant about our sexuality and the intimacy between husband and wife. But oh my goodness, when we get over into the New Testament, the New Testament just begins to make it more explicit, even more explicit That our sexuality and physical intimacy was always meant to be simply an appetizer or a foretaste or a signpost pointing to something more profound. And that is why, I'm about to say something that some of you might say, oh, what? There'll be no sex in heaven. Still wanna go? (laughs) And that's why if you're married... Do it now, right now. Today, if you hear my voice, today is the day of salvation. Today, there won't be sex in heaven, not because God is bad, but because it was always designed to be a foretaste and to put on display. But please know, no one will be wandering around saying, I wish I wasn't here. Oh, if I could just have sex. Oh, no, 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 no what it was always designed to put on display and to be a foretaste of was and is face-to-face, unguarded intimacy and acceptance with our Savior. To be in the presence of, some, to be in the, presence of the most glorious, beautiful, wonderful being and to know that you're fully accepted in an unguarded, unashamed way To be in total union and oneness joined with him. Oh, that's where all this is headed. That's what's at the heart of this. And that's why it matters to God what we do with it. It's not just because of how sexual sin damages us. No doubt. It's how sexual sin is like graffiti that mars and covers over The glorious display of the gospel, this kind of love, this kind of pursuit, this kind of commitment, this kind of acceptance. That's what it was meant to put on display. And that doesn't happen when two singles just jump into bed, minus commitment, smoke a cigarette and wonder if he'll call. Or worse yet, find on social media he's talking about you publicly about it. God never intended our sexuality to be wrenched out of the context of commitment. God never intended for married people to be having sex with someone who's not their spouse. All the other versions. The reason it's so abhorrent to God is not because he's a killjoy and he's against sexual pleasure. Tell the world, shut up. Our God thought of pleasure. Our God designed pleasure, including sexual pleasure. He's not a killjoy. He's not against it. But it was never meant to just be all about your pleasure. Jesus Christ is at the heart of this. The gospel is at the heart of this. And our union with Jesus Christ is at the heart of this. So God cares about what we do with this. So, now with that in place, I want you to hear my second point. Number two, you then... We'll never get the truth about sexual sin unless you get it from God's Word. All oh, the world lies to us all the time, and just keeps snowballing and piling up vicious lies about our sexuality that you can do whatever you want with it, about the effects of sexual sin that it's not going to harm you, and we're just going to continue to see refugees who have been broken on the anvil of what the world said would lead to fulfillment and freedom and purpose. The only problem in your life are these these moral values that were laid on you by your parents and the church and the Bible and Christianity. They make us out to be the bad guy. We're gonna see more and more and more and more refugees completely broken on the anvil of what the world said would lead to freedom. But it doesn't because God knows best and God is good. He's pursuing us. He loves us. He cares about us. You'll never get the truth about, about sexual sin reading Cosmopolitan mag- magazine or binging on Netflix night after night after night. Never. You'll only get the truth from God's word because guess what? Nobody else is talking about it the way God Does. Let me point out a few of the things that you'll never learn. You'll never learn unless you learn it from the Bible. Number one, sexual sins affect you on a deeper level than many other sins. Did you know that? Oh, listen to me. All sin is sin. But the Bible actually teaches sexual sins more than most affect you on a deeper level than many other sins. That is why that is why you see such strong language in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 being used that pushes sexual sin into a unique category because of its impact on us and its impact on our relationship with God. It's the same thing you see Paul doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go there with me in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Now, also consider this. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 6, then we're going to go to Ephesians 4. I'm going to mention Romans 1. Guess what? Look at me a minute. Don't keep saying, oh, but things are so different today, Brad. It's so much harder today. It's it's." when Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, it was a wicked city. Prostitutes went out into the streets every night, thousands of them, and it was openly done, and it was considered an act of worship to have sex with a prostitute. They had, they had sodomites and, and, and same-sex prostitutes in temples. It was all there for you. This was a wicked city that now Christians had come to Christ and needed to try to live out their faith there. Ephesus, same way, very immoral. Rome, do I need to say more? These were wicked cities where Christians were trying to live to the glory of God. So get over yourself with, oh, it's just so much harder. Now here's the one grace card I'll grant you. It is most unfortunate how it can be brought right into your home, and no longer do we have to worry about the shame of stepping out and buying a magazine that you can just get porn right in the home. Get it on your phone, get it on your... But apart from that, folks, the decadence and the darkness... This is not worse. God help them, he'll help us. So listen, 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, people not married, having sex. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, people who are married having sex with someone other than their spouse. Nor homosexuals, people having sex, a man with a man, a woman with a woman. Nor sodomites, another word for homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. There's the bad news. Some really good news in verse 11. And such were some of you. Everybody in that list had come to faith in Christ in Corinth. So, there's no one outside of the mercy and grace of God. There's no sin that puts you in a category of irredeemable. There's no sin that now there's no hope for you. He said to those believers, and such were some of you. You were fornicators. You were adulterers. You were homosexuals. You were covetous. You were. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord For the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies, your physical bodies, are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he is joined to the Lord. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Now listen to this. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits Sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? Look at me if you hear and you say you're a Christian. And you are not your own. From head to toe, you're not your own. Look at what he says, verse 20, for you were bought at a price, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you see what's at stake here and why Paul is talking about sexual sin the way he does? It's what we've already tried to frame up. The horror of sexual sin is rooted in how the purpose and place of sex was depict was originally designed to depict the intimacy and complete union that we'll experience one day with Christ, but look at me. You have Christ in you now. You haven't experienced the fullness of face-to-face union with him and intimacy, but right now he lives in you. You are joined to him. You're in union with Jesus Christ so that Everywhere you go and every sexual sin you enter into with your body, whether it's fornication, adultery, homosexuality, or pornography, you take the Lord Jesus Christ with you, and stay with me, it gets worse, and you involve him in it and you defile him. Christianity is the only religion that holds on to the dignity and wonder of the physical human body. So many other religions and philosophies wanted to separate body from spirit and soul. The body doesn't matter, it's what's going on. Christianity is the one that says physical bodies matter. We are, we're given a body, our savior took on a body, and I don't know if you knew this, he will still have a body in heaven for eternity. Our Savior took on a body, rose again, and it's a glorified body, and it's what we'll have, but bodies are not bad, and it's not like, oh, that doesn't matter what I do with my body. Yes, it does. Where you take your body and what you do with your body, Christian, you take Jesus with you, and you involve him in it. Paul said, oh, my goodness, don't you realize when you go and you do this, You're joined to Jesus. You take Jesus with you into that. By definition, a Christian is someone who's joined to Jesus Christ, not just someone who's forgiven. Read Romans chapter six. You're in union with Christ, union with Christ. This is the only religion that talks this way. This is the only religion that has a God that comes down into our world. You won't see intimacy like this from any other religion. That's why I grow weary of the media that just wants to harp on endlessly that Islam, you know, any other, you know, the Jewish religion is all the same. We're all talking about God. Christianity is quantitatively different in that God comes down to us, cares about us, pursues us, loves us, wants to know us, accepts us and wants us to have really what you've been searching after and longing for all your life in this world, to know would someone fully accept me, knowing everything about me, and love me, and know me, in a way that I could feel absolutely safe and unguarded, answer, yes. God in his son, Jesus Christ. you'll, You'll get a foretaste of that, with an earthly relationship, but you could never fully experience that in a broken world. So understand, in the moment that you put your trust in Christ through faith to become a Christian, here's what happened. You didn't just sign some certificate and agree to a list of doctrinal statements. In that moment when you trusted him, he gave himself to you, Jesus, completely by grace. And you gave yourself to him completely by faith so that you are now, my friend, completely not just for Christ, but of Christ from head to toe, including your sexuality. You are not your own. Not your own. Not your own. Well, let me point out something else the world does not want you to know and does not talk about. Sexual sins, more than many others, Will harden you and leave you just wanting more and more. They'll harden your heart and leave you wanting more and more. Jump over to Ephesians 4 and let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 17. This I say, therefore. And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to sensuality, to work all uncleanness with a continual lust for more, now he's talking to Christians, so it's worth noting, verse 20, but you, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians six, such were some of you, but you've been washed, but you've been sanctified, but you've been justified, same thing's happening here, this is what the world is doing and he's like, I know you're right in the mix and some of you were right on that path living that way, all but believers, he's saying, listen, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to what kind of lust? Now the phrase that I want you to make solid note of is right at the end of verse 19. Sexual sins will leave you with a continual lust for more. They do not satisfy. They stir up. They actually create dissatisfaction. They stir up and will send you down a path of just of wanting continually more and more and more. And here's also what's scary. It leaves you wanting more and it pushes you down a path, look at me, of having fewer and fewer options because the very things you thought would satisfy are more and more enslaving you and dominating you and controlling you. Fewer options and continual lust for more. And as alarming as these verses are in Ephesians 4, Romans 1. Romans 1 actually has some more terrifying verses for the sake of time, we won't go there, but mark it down, Romans 1. Three times God says that if you persist in going down a path of sexual sin, ignoring all of God's loving, loving cries to you, you can actually reach a point. Did you know this? You can reach a point where God will just turn you over or give you up to your sin. He says it in verse 24 of Romans 1. Verse 26 and verse 28. And I hope you are not so foolish as to sit here and say, good, I wish he would stop resisting me and convicting me and my conscience wouldn't bother me. Oh my friend, this condition being described in Romans one is a horrifying place to be. You do not want God to give you up. To finally say, fine, you want it so bad, go. Go, unrestrained, unrestrained now, go. Mm. Because here's the danger. Don't lie to yourself and say, oh, I can just get involved in a little sexual sin. I can do this. And then I'll just turn back to God and walk away from it whenever I decide, whenever I want. The British physician, medical doctor, and pastor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, understood the sobering truth of God's word when he said this. Listen to what he said. Be careful how you treat God, my friends. You may say to yourself, oh, I can sin against God, and then, of course, I can repent and go back and find God when I want him. You try that. And you will sometimes find that not only can you not find God, but that you don't even want to. You will be aware of a terrible hardness in your heart, and you can do nothing about it. Remember in Hebrews where it talked about Esau? Esau found no place for repentance, though he wept You might not know this, did you know God has to actually give us repentance? He calls us to repent but you can't just repent anytime you want to. That's how serious your sin problem is. Second Timothy 2, 24 to 26 says that God may grant them repentance, that they may know the truth and come to their senses, having escaped the snare of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. If you keep going down that path and feeding it and giving in and giving in and, yea, verily, pursuing it while the world cheers you on, you could reach a point of hardness where you can not go back. You won't want to go back because sin is so deceitful and sin is enslaving. You do not play with sin. You do, Don't make the mistake of saying, oh, I can just play around with this and I can control it while I keep God on retainer. You stay right there, God. I want you in the margins of my life. Don't go too far. I want you right there, for when and if I decide I want to repent. If that's you, oh, I plead with you. Repent today, today, today. You may reach a point where you cannot find God and you don't even want to. Sin is so deceitful and enslaving. Let me tell you something else you won't hear from the world. Sexual sins promise freedom, but ultimately lead to slavery and destruction. That's why Proverbs 5, 21 to 22 says what it does. For the ways of a man, verse 21 and 22 in our chapter, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. News alert. You may think you're so savvy you've learned how to erase the history on your computer. You may know any number of things, and you may have been working so hard Hard that you have completely fooled everyone in your life. They would be shocked if you went down in flames and it was exposed, what you're actually doing with your personal life, sexually. But there's one person you have not fooled. He sees it all. The eyes of the Lord see it all. And he ponders all his paths. Verse 22, woo, his own iniquities. Entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Folks, verse 22 is not describing a life of freedom. Entrap, caught, cords. But then I want you to notice right there at the end of verse 21, a word. Do you see it? Paths, paths. The Hebrew word right there reveals a lot to us. The Hebrew word for path right there is a word that means Wagon path, wagon path, wagon marks. In other words, it has to do with those deep ruts that wagons make on a trail as they go down the same path over and over again so that eventually that wagon has no choice but to drop down into those ruts that have been created by going in the same direction over again and over and over and over again. In fact, to do otherwise is extremely difficult and you might even think impossible. Could you get back up on those narrow ridges that are in between the ruts? I imagine you could try. Very hard to stay on top of that. It's much easier to just drop in the rut, drop in the rut, drop in the rut. And that's what God's word is telling us, that if you continue like this, You will create trenches or ruts that will cause you to say, and I hear it, oh, I can't, I can't not do this. I have to do this. There's no way I could do otherwise. It feels that way because it's so easy to do what you've done and you've created trenches or ruts in your life. But there is hope. It will not be easy, but there is hope. Don't buy the lie that this is just who I am. And I might throw in here also on this issue of ruts and trenches. I've read several articles recently. I'm no scientist, so I don't know the truthfulness of it. But they're saying now that as you go down a path of pornography, and when I say that word, I want you to know now that I'm talking to men and women. This is not just a male problem. Men and women who are going to the internet for pornography and chat rooms and practicing self-pleasure all by themselves, men and women, that as you do that, it creates in your brain a rut or a pathway that you associate this event with pleasure and you're turning it right back on to yourself. And God never designed that. So my answer to people that say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna use a word that may... Masturbation. Oh, is that a sin? I think so, because I hope you heard me frame up. Sexuality was designed to put on display two people are in union, accepting and loving. This is all by myself, doing what I want with me for my pleasure. No, it's it's graffiti on God's original design. And here's the other thing, man or woman, it is addictive. And you are making it incredibly difficult to ever build intimacy with a real man or woman in this world. Because let's be honest, that's much harder than connecting online, right? And you're in some chat room with sexy beast who may be a large woman in another state for all you know. (laughs) But there you are, sexy beast, and you have connected on a level, oh my goodness, So much harder in real time with real people because that involves risk and self disclosure and sacrifice and preferring each other. This is glorious what God gave us, but it's harder in real time. And the more you go into non real time, the less you'll want to turn back and even work on it in a real world. Be careful. And here's the other thing that, that maybe you don't realize sex is powerful. It is not just a physical thing. God designed sex, physical intimacy between a husband and wife, to actually be glue, covenant glue that knits you together. So here's what I would say to you. As you are sexually intimate with another person and you're not married to them, you are creating trenches in your heart, ruts that cause your emotions to move in that direction. So that's why I've seen this over and over and over again. A young woman, and the women seem to be the ones that take the damage the most. A woman, young lady who will not let go of a bad boy. He's not kind, he doesn't think of her, he breaks her heart, he's cruel to her, and she keeps going back. And once I've tried to help her for a while, I'll say, can I ask you a question? Are you sleeping with him? I've never heard a different answer. Yes. What has she done? She's created trenches in her heart where her emotions. Sex was meant to be the glue that works in a covenant relationship, cement. And so now let me say something else. Equally awkward. This is a great Sunday. (laughs) Equally awkward. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. Write that down. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5, this is why Paul the Apostle tells married couples, get after this. You should be sexually active. Yes. In fact, the only time you should let up is for prayer and fasting. And I haven't met any married couples yet. It's like, yeah, we haven't had sex for three years because we've been praying and fasting. The ribs are showing. They're gone. (laughs) Like, whoa, wow, you need to eat something and have sex. No, all kinds of other reasons why they're not having sex, but I haven't heard prayer and fasting yet. Why? Because Paul understands by the Holy Spirit, this will glue you together, this will knit you together, so you actually sin against God and your spouse by not being sexually active. And you say, well, we've got problems in our marriage. Guess what? Then that was also meant for you to to work on it, figure out what is it that's keeping us from coming together? Sort that out. But do not put sex on the back burner and say, whatever, it's just sex. It's not just sex. It has to do with a covenant relationship, union with Christ, intimacy, to accept someone, to know someone, and it's a foretaste of something even better. God intended this to be in place. If you ignore the truth of God's word regarding your sexuality, then there are horrific consequences both to your relationship with God and other people. This will will mess up your intimacy with God. What you do with your body on a a human, horizontal, physical level impacts your intimacy with God. That's why Jesus said in John 14, In that day you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That sounds very intimate. That's that union thing. I in you, and you in me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I'll love him and reveal myself to him. Intimacy. Listen to me. Greater intimacy with God comes through obedience to God in every area of your life, including your sexuality. But let me tell you what else it messes up. Sexual sin, if you keep going down that path, will destroy your capacity to love other people created in the image of God. Because sexual sin, by its very nature, I've never seen anything different. Sexual sin, by its very nature, dehumanizes other people on the altar of your own sexual desires. It dehumanizes other people. It'll, it'll begin to twist and destroy and damage your ability to truly love another person. John Mayer is a talented musician, but one of the most sexually troubled people to ever open his mouth honestly. Honestly. He's still recovering from two interviews he gave eight years ago, six months apart, in Playboy magazine and Rolling Stones, where he was so crass and so base and so foul and so self-centered that even the world, the world rose up and cried out and he went under intense criticism. He's 40 today and he admitted I'm still trying to recover from those two interviews that I did. Yeah, most of which I cannot even quote for you because they were so base and crass but I've cleaned up two for Sunday morning family friendly. <laughs> quote, this is what he said, during sex, I'm just going to run a film strip. I'm still just having sex with myself. That's what you do when you're 30, 31, 32. This is my problem now. Rather than meet somebody new, I would rather go home and replay the amazing experiences I've already had. You understand what he's saying? I'm only in my early 30s, but I've had sex with so many women and it's so much all about me now, I just as soon go home by myself and replay one of my favorite experiences while I please myself. In the same interview, he said, quote, by the way, pornography? It's a new synaptic pathway. You wake up in the morning, open a thumbnail page, and it leads to a Pandora's box of visuals. There have probably been days when I saw over 300 naked women before I even got out of bed. Now, I don't want to just sit here and gasp over John Mayer because John Mayer is not the worst sexual sinner. He's just one of the most honest I've ever encountered. So is there any hope for any of us to get untangled or stay untangled from the world's foolishness and confusion regarding sexuality? Oh yes, God doesn't just tell us about the horrors of sexual sin. He tells us about the glories of a savior who came to give himself for us and to set us free. That's what Titus chapter 2 is talking about. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, where it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now make a note. Verse 11 talking about the grace of God. That's not some mist. That's a reference to Jesus, the grace of God, embodied, that has appeared to all men, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works." I'm sure there are many of you here today that are stuck in some kind of sexual sin and you don't think there'll ever be a way out for you. The ruts have been cut so deep and you've gone down the path so long and the lies of our enemy have become so loud in your head. But hear me today. Jesus Christ came to die and rise again to set you free. Yes, you. There is hope. Some of us here, could stand and tell you there is hope for every sin. Don't buy the lie. But here's what you need to understand. You won't be set free by some kind of formula or some little technique that I give you or, listen, by just beating up yourself again some more with guilt and shame or even fear of God and punishment. Believe it or not, that will not work, not for long. You say, Brad, what's the breakthrough? Let me tell you, the breakthrough for some of you is this, to know that you are completely accepted and loved and known and delighted in and forgiven as a son or daughter of God who can come fully and freely and boldly into his presence, not based on your own merit, but the righteousness of another Jesus Christ. When Tim Keller talked about About our struggle against sexual sin in the context of Titus 2, he said this, the grace of God teaches us to say no to all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What's that mean? You have to learn to let the grace of God come in and sweetly argue with you. Until you know the love of Christ in the gospel, until before God you know that you're naked and without shame, then to be naked before anybody else will either become a disgusting thing to you or a consuming thing to you. In other words, unless you've learned how to be naked and unashamed before God, unless you've come to know the grace of God as the basis of being accepted by God, you're either going to be a prude or a pagan regarding Sex. You're either going to be disgusted by the idea of being naked before somebody else or else you'll be consumed by the idea of being naked before somebody because you've never really understood what it means to be naked and fully accepted by the grace of God. Everybody that just spends a life going from bed to bed to bed is not just seeking sexual pleasure. God gave us this connected to intimacy And to be known and to be loved and to be unashamed. People are actually hungry for and longing for something and they don't even always understand it. And the answer is the gospel. The answer is Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, oh, listen to me. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Confess your sin. Bear your soul to him and give your life completely to him as you are don't try to clean yourself up first as you are and he will not reject you he will not turn you away but maybe you're hearing you are a christian but if you were honest you'd have to say brad i still i still wrestle regularly with shame and guilt and a sense of i'm not good enough and oh that is affecting how you fight sin my friend That is affecting you on so many levels in this world. Here would be my counsel to you. Write this down. Go to Romans chapter eight. That is the most glorious chapter in the Bible. And you read that every day and you pray to God, it says there's therefore now no condemnation, it talks about him, if he's for us, who can be against us? It talks about nothing can separate you from the love of Christ that's in Christ Jesus. There's intimacy, there's a pursuit, there's love, there's acceptance that's over the top. Say, God, make these truths real and personal to me, and I guarantee you, it'll make a difference in your boldness and your grace-empowered ability to say no to sexual sins, knowing that you are accepted and loved and adopted. Oh God, thank you for your word that does not just tell us what to avoid, but tells us why and what you've done, frames it up in a way that's all about your son and the gospel that, that that puts Christianity in a category unto itself. Oh God, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for intimacy that you want to have with us and adoption. That we're not just forgiven, we're sons. And daughters, thank you for the language of marriage to Christ, union with Christ, and thank you for the culmination of all things in the book of Revelation, where in Revelation 21, there will be the the marriage supper of the Lamb, our Savior, and we are the bride. Oh God, take these glorious gospel truths and enable us to live in a dark, dark world for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name.